What's going on, guys? It is JR off air once again. And of course, I am JR. And today I'm joined by a former NFL player. He went to the Ohio State University. Uh, he also was a Pittsburgh Steeler and a Chicago Bear. I've had a chance to get to know him a little bit uh, here in Florida. His name is Mike Adams, and he's on the show. And we welcome him to JR off air. Uh, Mike Adams, everybody, give it up for him. How are you, dude? Oh, good, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, brother. I am excited to talk to you uh, about your life, your career, and uh, take us back to the beginning where um, you first got involved in playing football and realized, hey, maybe I can do this. Man, uh, I guess when it comes to football, it was one of those, you know, whole life things, you know, since being a little kid, um, when your teachers ask you what you want to be when you grow up, that was kind of always my go-to. And, uh, if I wasn't allowed to do that, you know, I went for like bet or something like that or police officer. But right. yeah, I think when I got into like middle school, I think the first time that I had ever heard, um, heard an adult or, you know, anybody like that say like, Oh man, that kid, that kid's going to play in the NFL one day. I think I was probably like 12. So when you were 12, I mean, obviously you're six, seven now, but when you were 12, when did your growth spurt happen for you? I was always a big kid. Always you know, the tallest kid in class? Always, uh, except for like kindergarten, there's two girls taller, but yeah, always tall. <laughs> what are they doing now? <laughs> tall, they're both super tall. One's like 6'2", one's like 5'10". That's awesome. Very cool. So do you, you were born in Pennsylvania and then you grew up in Ohio? Yeah, born in Pennsylvania, moved to Ohio at uh, 10, 10 or 11. Okay. So, and you're 12 years old. You start playing football and what, uh, what, what position did you first start playing? So I was a, uh, a defensive end. No, I floated everywhere. Defensive end, nose guard, middle linebacker, left tackle center, all of it. Right. And then when do you start getting more specialized in what you do? Cause you, in, um, in the NFL you played and in college, you played dif uh, offensive tackle. Yeah. Yeah. So in high school, I started out playing defensive end and then I had a uh, high school line coach who was like, no, we're going to make you a lineman. So okay. I went from being like six, five two fifty as a freshman, um, you know, high like, school, right? Yeah. High school, uh, lean and in shape and like all that. And then the next year I was like six, six, two eighty five, two ninety, straight up left tackle, um, rocking number 75, uh, and then it was, that was pretty much all she wrote from there. You know, the high school with how recruiting goes, that's when, um, I became like the number one player in the state. As soon as the rankings started, all of those things, I actually had offers from like Ohio state, Michigan, Northwestern playing freshman football at defensive end, but wow. uh, yeah, just offered as a, whatever you end up. So you're a freshman in high school and you're getting offers to play in college already. Yeah, it was wild. My freshman football team had seven big time D one uh, players on it. Wow! Like we were a bunch of studs. Well, give that high school a shout out real quick. Yeah, right. Dublin Kaufman High School, baby. Mark Crabtree. Nice man. And you know, um, when you start getting recruited and you're trying to figure all that out, I mean, that's a big decision. Obviously, getting your schooling paid for is one thing, but knowing that you have a, a future in football. How did you decide where to go and what was that like? I mean, is everybody knocking on your doors or letters? I mean, how did that recruiting process go? I know it's a lot different now, but what was it like for you? Yeah, man. Uh, I guess back when we were coming out of school, I would say it was, um, it was 
not, I, I guess it was more personal, more personable, you know, not so much text messaging and tweeting and all of those kind of things, but like handwritten letters, you know, you remember that we were getting, I think I started getting mail every single day as a sophomore from schools all over. I ended up with an offer from every school in the country, except for Texas. They're what like, happened? They're just like, they got all these big corn fed or yeah. you know, beef fed linemen from Texas all over the place. <laughs> so if you want to come here, you got to ask us. You got to come to us. Right, right, right. And, and, so, and at that time, who was the number one program? Uh, the number one program, it was Ohio, uh, Florida, Ohio State, LSU. Uh, so the, the national championships while I was getting recruited, my junior year was Ohio State, Florida. And then the next year was Ohio State, LSU. So where's, where's my team? Where are the Trojans at USC? Where uh, were they at? So they came, they came right when we got to school, which was pretty wild. Like my freshman year, my first away game was at USC. And that was when it was Clay Matthews, Ryan Cushing, Pili Malu. Um, uh, who's that? Ray Maluga, Mark Sanchez. Yeah. Tyron, like me and Tyron Smith and Matt Khalil were all in the, all in the uh, same high school class. Um, we were actually the top three ranked tackles in the country. That's awesome, and, man. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, USC at that time, man, talk about a bunch of freaks. We walked on the field and I'm like, I've never seen people who look like this. Yeah. I mean, just going in that Coliseum is a cool thing. I, I got a chance to, uh, throw passes in there t- for a commercial shoot one time when I was acting in LA and I was like, coming in here with this place, if it was packed, cause it just was cameras doing a TV uh, commercial, but if this place was packed. Like it would be kind of intimidating. I know that Ohio state's got his thing, but like coming across the state for you guys coming across I'm the country for you guys and, and walking into the Coliseum that looks like a Coliseum. I mean, you had to feel like you're going to war. Oh, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. You know, just knowing the history behind it and all of that. And uh, it was a night game as well. So, you know, like that whole atmosphere for your first away game as a freshman, like true freshman, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. I loved it. You know, the only thing was like, you guys didn't fill all the seats. <laughs> well, we weren't playing anybody. That's why. You guys don't fill all the seats and they won't sell tickets to people from Ohio. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this, going back to high school, um, how did you, well, first of all, decide, I know Ohio State's such a huge program and so appealing, so, especially someone who's in Ohio. I mean, it's gotta be a dream as a kid, but who was in your ear at that time telling you where to go and, you know, people that are close to you and you're like tight knit. Cause I know a lot of people can try to get in your head to tell you where to go. I mean, how did you make that decision for yourself? Um, for me, it, it all just came down to my coach, coach Tressel. He, uh, he was such a special guy and not only him, but the entire staff that he put together, it was such a family there. Um, it was just something special and different than you felt at any other program. Like when you walked into our, like the facility, there's like a huge, huge picture of him and his wife and like all the other coaches, like families and children. It looked like grandpa and grandma Tress. I was like, this man, this man is all about like wanting to make us into great men and all of these things. And never once did he like, like when I was getting recruited, never once did he say, yeah, you're the number three player in the country overall. Like you can come in and start right away. Mm-hmm. Never once he's like, yeah, you can come in, you can work hard. You can, you know, you'll have a chance to compete and you know, we'll see what happens from there. And wow. I always respected that about him. Uh, you know what I mean? Cause all these other schools are like, yeah, you're this, you're that, you're going to come in and start right away. And I'm just like, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't, I've seen it not happen so many times. Yeah. Well, you don't have to give me details, but what was the wildest recruiting trip you went on? What school? Oh, I mean, Ohio state, man, it was, uh, it was wild. Yeah. It was the game that I was there for. was absolutely crazy. Um, the whole, I went for Ohio state versus Michigan, number one versus number two in the country to see who went to the national championship. Um, it was a night game. It was incredible. 42, 39 finish. So that was pretty intense. And then being in the locker room after the game, I like rushed the field with all the fans. I was in the <laughs> front row on the 50, rushed the field with everyone, end up in the locker room. It was absolutely insane. And then the party after that with all the guys on the team, as you can imagine, was just like something from a movie. You're like, I'm coming back here. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm in. That's awesome. You, you talked about coach Tressel, you know, you, it's a kind of a, that's awesome for you, man, because you know, a lot of guys are telling you and promising you the world and what he's promising you is an opportunity. So that's kind of a cool thing, man. I mean, was that something where you didn't hear a lot of that growing up where it was, I'm not meaning your family or, or, you know, your, your mom or anything like that, but I'm but talking about like, was it easy for you to kind of win a spot on all these teams, but then Tressel's like, Hey, you got an opportunity to do yeah. this. Yeah. You're not, you're not necessarily the guy. different. Yeah. Definitely different. You know, growing up as a kid, always being like that guy, you know, like the big guy who's good. Like when I was in high school as a freshman D lineman, I had like 20 some sacks in nine games. You know what I mean? Like, right. Stupid. Like maybe like, yeah, something stupid. And, you know, so being that guy, like, you know, it was obvious that the next year I had to step into a bigger role and a bigger role and all those things. Mm. And then, um, so yeah, coming to Ohio state, knowing that they had a bunch of older guys there and just having him be real about it and be like, yeah, man, like you come in and compete, you'll, you'll have an opportunity. And I did, I had an opportunity to play. I played a bunch, uh, ended up getting hurt like halfway through the year of Liz Frank in my foot. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was everything that I, that I thought it would be. Give me a highlight game for you when you're in Ohio state and tell me why it was a highlight and maybe some things going on around it. Oh man. Um, I got a couple. So my, my junior year I played against, uh, I had Cam Hayward on my team. Okay. I, I played against. For people who don't know who Cam Hayward, tell them where they're at now and all that and where, where they so played. Cam Hayward, all pro defensive tackle for the Steelers, uh, 11 year vet team captain, all that. Um, JJ. So I played against JJ Watt played against, uh, who is all everything played against Adrian Claiborne. Who's got the most sacks in a game in NFL history. I'm pretty sure with like seven or so, six or seven, um, played against Ryan Kerrigan, all these guys, first round picks that year. Uh -huh. Um, Ryan Kerrigan was just a captain for, uh, the Washington football team last year. Okay. And then, uh, played against Alvin Bailey, um, Olivier Vernon for my, like I played against a bunch of dudes who are straight studs in the league right now. Um, and I played against Adrian Claiborne was probably the best one in college. And he was just absolutely wrecking offensive tackles, like all over. And what school did he go to? Iowa. Iowa. So you, so Ohio state versus Iowa, big game. And you, know, and you know, this guy's coming in. Yeah. Ohio state versus Iowa. We're like number one in the nation. They're I think top, 10 maybe uh it's at their place night game which is a hostile environment their sideline is literally arms distance like their fans can touch you at all times it's crazy oh, wow. um 
we're playing them. It's a big game for him. Huge game for me, obviously. Like he's like, he's up for every award. He's that guy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I go out there and we had a heck of a game. Like I gave up no sacks, anything like that. But I was like pancaking this guy, doing all, all the things. And, uh, and you know, it was like, there was one play where they had a roll out to the right and I'm back here with a one-on-one punch him in his chest. He falls to his knees and I speared him like Hank. <laughs> it was some straight dog, dog stuff. Right. right. Like the, next, the next day of film, they didn't even show game film. They literally just showed my highlights from the game and talked about how I dominated in the biggest game of my career. So that for me was, uh, it was an incredible feeling. I like just was so appreciative of just the preparation and everything going into it to be able to execute like that. It, you know, just it's what hard work's all about, you know? Yeah, man. You know, I was hearing somebody talk about, I think it might've been Pat McAfee where it was like, you know, a guy like yourself, if you have, let's say, you play, you know, 30 snaps or whatever. I don't, I'm just throwing out a number and you win 29 of those snaps, but one snap, the guy gets by and sacks the quarterback. Oh, they're only talking about the one snap, right? Oh, but you yeah, lost yeah. them. And in college football, you're talking about 80 some snaps a game. Right. If not now, probably more because they play so fast. But back then, yeah, you're talking about 80, 85 plays a game. And if you lose, you give up one sack, one tackle for loss. Like, dude, it's. Look, there's so much at stake. I mean, I mean, who your quarterback was Terrell Pryor at the time? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's precious cargo back there. If he's getting hit, that's on you, right? Exactly. Exactly. Precious cargo. And if you give him time, you can do anything. Right. So it's like, you got to do what you got to do. Give me something that, you know, people, everybody wants to play a college sport and everybody wants to play at a big school like Ohio state. You got the honor to do that. What is something that people don't realize goes with that territory? Um, I mean, I guess, my dog in the background. Buddha. Yeah. I guess uh, the one thing is like everybody kind of just thinks that it just happens. You know, a lot of people don't understand how much work those guys put in, how much they really dedicate their life to that craft of being good at their sport. Um, you know, I was just spoke about it the other day, but when I was in high school and like all the other kids went on vacation with their families, I didn't go on vacation with my family. I stayed in town. I went and worked out with my high school coach at the high school every day, like every single day of workouts from when I started to when I ended, I was there first, like pretty much when I left last, definitely. And I was working extra with my coach every day. Like Uh I'm out there in the summer running stadium steps with this 80 year old dude who used to play for Ohio state back in like, I think back in like the fifties. Um, and when I got drafted, he was one of the first people to message me on Facebook. It was unbelievable. Wow. And he's just like, Hey, you still up there at Kaufman running stadium steps. He's like, I can't make it up anymore, but I was like, wow. <laughs> that's awesome. So people yeah. don't, I mean, you, you would just say that people underestimate the work that goes into being a big program like that. Oh man. People, they, yeah, it's, it just really is so much and the pressure that those guys are under. Like, I think people really don't understand how much pressure those kids, especially like the college kids. I mean, it's, it's a whole nother level when you get to the league, but being an 18, 19, 20 year old kid and having hundreds of thousands of followers and things like that. And like 
you know, you have a bad game and you got, you know, thousands and thousands of bad mentions. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's tough stuff on the psyche of a young kid that back in the day, they didn't really have to deal with. Right. Back in the day, you were getting like n- nasty looks at the gas station and things like that. You know, you just didn't want to leave your house. But yeah. now it's like, you can't leave that. Yeah. Oh man. You know, that's crazy. Cause I, I, social media didn't really play anything till like I was probably a, I don't know, Facebook's just start. I mean, MySpace obviously. And then like Facebook was when things got like personal where you go to a game and you knew everything about a guy, their girl's name, their mom's name, the bat- last picture they posted. And then the trash talking got taken to a whole nother level, which some of it could be fun, but some of it can be, like you said, damaging to your psyche. And I'm like, gosh, dang man. Like they know everything about me. Talk about Ohio state. Do they prepare you that way? Do they talk to you about how to deal with that kind of thing? Yeah, they do. They, uh, I think it first starts with letting you know what the expectations are and what it means to be a Buckeye. And when I was in school, like every single day, I mean, shoot, I've got it right here. Wow. The team binder, huh? A book about all what it is to be a Buckeye. Blocko life. Um, and it's just like every day we would start our day reading that, uh, going over it together, you know, it's just really reinforced of what the standard is and what it means and how special it really is and how much people, uh, look up to you and also about how, what it means to let those people down as well. Uh, right. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tough part as a kid, but it's something that they definitely prepare you for. So you're going to, you're talking to multiple NFL teams, I'm sure as the drafts approaches. And, you know, I, I would assume that you grew up being a Steelers fan. Yeah. I grew up a Steelers fan. So you grew up a Steelers fan and there's an incident that happens where you possibly are taken off their draft board. And, yep. and it, can I just say what a failed drug test, right? Yep. Yep. Failed the drug test for uh, a little too much. We literally two nanograms over the limit, which is like the last hit of the last joint. Right. Well, things has changed so much. They don't even test for that anymore. Right. In the NFL. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or basketball either. I don't think or baseball. I don't know how it works. Uh, so let me ask you about that. So you, you have to go into a meeting with, uh, the owner of the team, Art Rooney, you got oh, to talk to him. I'll, I'll tell you how. Okay. I want to tell everybody, tell everybody who's in that room and then how that conversation goes, because they're so, saying, cause they're like, Hey, we're going to move on. Right. Like it's, it's, you failed the drug test. This seems like a lot of trouble, right? Oh dude. So leading, so leading up to this, I quit smoking for like seven and a half weeks, figured I was good. I'm training hard, you know, sweating, but I'm a big dude and I've been smoking for years. So wasn't enough. Fail the test. I'm like, Oh man. I, leading up to it at the combine and all that, I had great interviews with every team, but like really loved my meeting with the Steelers. Like, you know, and these meetings are intense and they're, they know every single thing about you. They ask you every single thing about your life. Um, anything traumatic, like it's, it's a whole psych evaluation with like the whole management ownership, everyone there. So we had an awesome meeting. And then, uh, my pro day, um, Pro day is like the combine at your school with your, with okay. your teammates who are eligible. So my pro day, all like, I think every team was there. Um, and coach Tomlin and Mr. Rooney, Kevin Colbert, they were all in my pro day, which is wild. And then after we got done, they're hanging out and having lunch with my mom and my grandma and my grandpa, which wow. I'm like, that's surreal. I'm like, and they had just drafted Cam Hayward and two other Buckeyes the year before me and a couple before that. So it's like a pipeline at this point. And so like, I'm loving it, you know, and 
the next day after my pro day is when I got the news that I failed the test on my 22nd birthday. Oh, 9 30 AM. My mom calls me and she's like, Hey, we got a letter from the NFL. And I'm like, what's it say? You know, and oh, no. it says you failed your test for marijuana. And she told me how much and I was just like, Oh God. And then I had to go out to birthday lunch with my family and all, you know, and just like everyone's all proud because I crushed it pro day the day before. And then I'm just sitting there like, but no one knows about the letter except for you and your mom and my friends who were in town staying at my house who were there when I got the call, like, I, you know, like I'm just like, so they know that I'm just going through it. And so I, t- I ended up telling my grandparents and everyone at the end of the night. And cause I knew it was going to be on TV, you know, and I didn't want to find out that way. So we, um, went through all that. And then I, yeah, I was thinking about telling teams. So, I uh, called coach Tomlin and I was like, Hey coach, um, I was wondering if I could come down and have, and meet with you. And he's like, yeah, come on down, man. Come on down to Pittsburgh. Here's the address, brother. I'll see you tomorrow. Like, <laughs> he's such a cool guy, bro. Yeah. And like, you know, like me and him got along great. So, um, I drive down there and you know, I go in his office and he's like, what's up, man. And I'm like, coach, look, man, like I fucked up. Like, you know, and he's like, what do you mean? And oh, so he that. doesn't know yet. So he doesn't know yet. No, no, no one knows. Nobody knows. Oh, okay. So I thought that, I thought they were notified too. Cause if you were looking at somebody, they would have oh, found no, out that they're right? not notified. Okay. No, they're not. I just notified. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, got it. They would find out afterwards. If they, yeah. So, um, would it be after draft or pre-draft? They would find out. It would be after draft. Oh shoot. Okay. Wow. Yeah. They would, they, and the only way that they would know is because I would have to go take drug tests all the time, but they would never actually know. Got um, it. yeah, that's all, that stuff is just always leaked, which is crazy. Um, but so I called coach Tomlin and I was, was like, I want to be honest with you. Like, you know, I failed this test, blah, blah, blah. blah. And man, he got Kevin Colbert, the GM and, uh, they came and sat in the room. Mr. Rooney came in for a little bit. It was Kevin and Mike were there and, uh, they just ring me out for like two hours. Like just they're like, and like the crazy part, like they're telling me all this and that, but then they're like, you think we don't know that everyone in that locker room smokes weed? They're like, but you can't get caught. And really? Like, That's the message. I'm like, so this is, this is, the, this is the messed up part about the whole thing is like, that shouldn't be the reality of it. Mm. If that's, if everybody smokes weed and everybody knows it helps guys and all these things, like then why is it a thing to get caught? Well, you know, that's why they don't get tested for it now. Um, so yeah, they let me have it about that. And they're like, yeah. So what are they reaming you about? They're just reaming you about getting caught. They're not reaming about you actually smoking weed. No, they're reaming me about getting caught. <laughs> Yeah. I used to have a teacher in, in uh, high school who would say, uh, if he thought he would see you maybe looking at someone else's notes or whatever, he goes, Hey, JR cheat smart. Okay. Cheat smart. You know, like don't be exactly. obvious about it. So I, I kind of relate in that way. Uh, wow. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. So I had to, uh, I had to go to like a therapist basically, or like a psychologist and meet with them and talk and, make sure that I didn't have like a dependency, like a, like a weed dependency or something crazy that was going to make me be a liability to the program. So 
go in. They like, you know, put me back on the draft board, I guess. I had no idea, but they ended up drafting me. I actually got a call right before them from, I think it was, I think it was the Jets or, or it was the Eagles. The Eagles call. And as soon as I hang up the phone, the Eagles said they were going to pick me a pick after the Steelers. So as soon as I hit end, the pop, the phone pops up, Steelers O-line coach, and I answer. And it was uh, the O-line coach, and he handed the phone to Coach Tomlin, and they picked me. And Oh, um, man. Yeah, I, I was had a huge draft party. All my family was there. They're all that must Steelers have been insane. Dude, they had their Steelers gear on at my party, not even knowing where I was going to go. So <laughs> yeah. when, you go yeah. to the Eagles. That's a weird party, right? Dude, right. So when I get picked by the Steelers, the place went nuts. You know, it was absolutely, we had a blast. Um, yeah. And then, so I get in the drug program and the NFL drug program back in the day was like federal probation. You can get tested 11 times a week randomly, no matter where in the world you were and anywhere you went, you had to call. Like if you want to go somewhere more than four hours, you had to call, let them know who it was, what your address was, where you're going to be, the address of it, and when you would be leaving. It was, wow. Yeah, two years. Jeez, crazy. Well, that was awesome that they gave you a chance. And, you know, people talk about Mike Tomlin. He's never had a losing season. You go in there, you go to training camp or whatever, your first interactions where he's actually your coach. What What is that like? Because I just feel like that guy is a, an electric person. Dude, my first training camp with Mike, Mike Tomlin was... I loved it. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, so the, the way I found out that I was getting my first starting reps was like a pretty, a pretty cool night. But like, so, you know, everybody's got curfew. We're staying in college dorms, right? In these little, little dorms, me and my roommate, Dave DeCastro, the room was so small, our queen size beds like touched each other, you know? Mm. Um, but we had a barber who would come cut hair in the laundry room on the first floor. So I'm a rookie. So I had to wait until everybody else got their haircut and I'm waiting. And it's like, bro, it's like just about, it's like after curfew and I finally am able to get a haircut. And I'm like, man, like, and he's like, bro, I'll just, I'll cut your hair. And I was like, oh, all right, man, I'm sitting there all nervous. I'm like, I hope coach T or somebody doesn't walk past here while I'm sitting here after curfew, you know? Right. And, I'm sitting there getting my hair cut and Mike T walks in and I'm oh. like, I'm like, Oh no. Um, but I'm like sitting there cool, you know? And he walks in, he's like, big Mike, what's up, big Mike. And I'm like, what's up coach? Like, and he's like, man, he's like, he's like, you look like a man. He's like, you getting a fresh cut. I'm like, man, you know, coach, I gotta, I gotta clean up a little. And he's like, yeah, you look like a man who deserves some starting reps. You think you can handle that? And I was like, yeah. And he's like tomorrow, Friday night lights. It's this huge practice in at camp in Pittsburgh where they, the town come, it's at the high school stadium. It's packed full of people under the lights, all this stuff. And, um, so he's like Friday night lights, you, you're LT number one. And I was like, wow. So I go in and absolutely crushing it Friday night lights, like killing it. Um, and then actually like getting a fight, like me and the, like me and a D lineman came here getting a fight and a bunch of the old linemen jump in. It was like a huge thing. And like, uh, but that happens at every training camp because everybody's jacked. Everybody's trying to win a spot, right? Oh bro. It was great. But it was just so wild. Cause like, you know, like me and Cam, we got a history of going back and like through college and we always like competed so hard against each other. And it was such a great relationship. And then it just like continued on that level. 
And to be a rookie in my shoes and to have the other O-linemen jump in and have my back like that, like, bro, it was, it was pretty dope. And from there I was, yeah, left tackle number one and that. And then I went in my first preseason game starting and had a rough game, but sprained my MCL in like the second quarter and had to come out and was out for a week or so, but um, ended up playing right tackle that year and won rookie of the year for the Steelers. Um, awesome. Had a heck of a year, fun year. And uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty dope. For getting a haircut, think you're going to get in trouble. And next thing you know, you're getting starting reps, huh? Oh, my, I was sweating, like, <laughs> like probably dripping sweat under my shirt. Oh man, that's awesome. You know, you talked about Trestle and the stuff, what he demands and what it's, what it means to be a Buckeye. What is something that they really implant in you when it comes to what it means to be a Steeler? I mean, uh, so the motto, you know, just iron sharpens iron and the standard is the standard. So, you know, it's, we're going to be good on good. We're all going to work hard. We're going to make each other better. And just knowing that there's a standard here in Pittsburgh, you know, like the most Super Bowl rings and all of those things and what the team means to that city. Uh, it's something that, you know, loud and clear as soon as you walk through the door, you know, as soon as you walk through the door, you see all the trophies, you see all of the pictures of the old guys. A lot of the old guys still hang out there. Like when I was there, me and Joe Green was sitting there having lunch, a table over all the time, like mm. seeing guys like that, like, like straight legends. And not to mention when I got on the team, I played with some straight legends. You know? Well, Troy was on the team, right? Yeah. Troy Palomalu, you know, and like Ben, uh, absolute legend. And Roethlisberger, obviously. Brett, Brett Kiesels and the, um, oh man, Ryan. Is, T Clark. is TJ Watt younger than you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he wasn't, okay, he obviously wasn't there yet. Uh, but like the Ryan Clarks and like, all like Willie Colognes and Marquise Pounties. Like, I mean the Pouncey, bro, Marquise Pouncey, like that dude, absolute freak. One of the hardest workers I've ever seen. Antonio Brown, absolutely unreal. Yeah. Like, it was, it was a pretty awesome, awesome time to get there. Was Antonio Brown rookie at the time or was he, had he been in the league for a couple of years? Second year. And he was uh, a pro bowl punt returner. Wow. Not even a receiver yet. Yeah. And then the year I got there was like his first year as a pro bowl wide receiver. And he was like the best in the league. And then he was the best in the league for the next four years while I was there. I mean, dude, I, he still got it with the bucks. I mean, he's still electric. No, he was out for a year. He came back. So, and he got a little injured last year. So, I mean like, yeah, he, and he still played really well this year, bro. He's back oh. at it. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge AD fan. Yeah. Um, talk about a, a veteran that maybe took you under their wing. I mean, did you have a lot of interaction with Ben because you guys were on O? I mean, or did you have, I feel like Troy Palomalu was probably kind of like a dad of the team. I feel like he kind of, or was he to himself? Cause I mean, he's just like, he's such a, a interesting individual. Oh dude. Troy was so cool. Um, Troy, like my first day there, uh, you know, I had a conversation with me. I was like, yeah, man, like, um, he's like, yeah, you're not allowed to smoke weed for a couple of years out here. And <laughs> he already like, knew. I was like, yeah, like, and <laughs> he's like, you're going to be all right with that. Like, he was like, if you ever need anything, like, or need to talk or anything, you can always call me. And I was wow. like, oh, I, re I really appreciate that. And that was my first conversation I ever had with him. He just was like, and he asked about where I was from and what I, you know, what I like to do. And like, it was dope. And, um, but 
I guess like the old linemen, when I got there, it was a pretty tight group. It was a lot of older guys, Max Starks, Willie Colon, um, Marquise Pouncey, Ramon Foster was coming into his own. And, uh, and then me, David DeCastro and Kelvin Beecham, David DeCastro first round, me second, Kelvin Beecham sixth round or something, um, all drafted together. It was the older guys really did a great job of not like being those. No one's trying to punk you. Yeah. Like, well, not that, but just like not being like those gripey old dudes who are pissed off about losing their job to young guys and stuff like that. You know, it yeah. was, it was a, it was a good group. Um, nobody really related. Nobody really hung out with Ben that much. Uh, he's a little bit, uh, that was pretty much it. He's a, I, he's a lot different now and it makes me really happy to see like the way he is now. Mm-hmm. Like now he looks like he's having a lot more fun. He looks like he's so fun to be around when I was there. That wasn't always the case, but he was so like to play with man being on the field with that guy was unreal. Like yeah. I played in a couple games. I've started a couple games with him where he threw for, I think it was like 500 yards and six touchdowns in a game. Yeah. And we got, and we got game balls for, it, you know, like, so like, I don't want to get that mixed up. He was absolutely incredible to play with on the, but like outside of, you know, the games and stuff, it was, there was like a weird disconnect, but now like, and I think getting married and having kids and maybe even like the injury two years ago really probably put a lot of things back in perspective for him. Right. And it really, it seemed, it looks really awesome to see him like, acknowledging young guys positively and like right. being more playful. And it, it just seems like he's having a great time. Now, I mean, you said there's a little bit of a disconnect, but I mean, isn't it, I mean, th- this is, this is a guy that you're protecting. So on the field, it's great, but off the field, he's not showing as much love to the O-line that's keeping him in the game. huh? Yeah. It just, it just wasn't a great, wasn't a great relationship for a couple of years. There. Do you think that was his own demons or do you think that was just who Ben was at the time? I think probably, yeah, I think that, I think those go kind of hand in hand. I think he probably was dealing with his own things at the time. You know, I think he's talked publicly about. Right. No, I don't want you to speak out of turn. If you don't feel like speaking about it, I just, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not like trying to bash the guy at all. No, I don't think you are. He's since spoken publicly about things that he was going through at the time and how he's now a different dude from it. Right. And I, firsthand could say that like, yeah, he wasn't that great to be around back then, but I also can say he looks like he's a lot of fun to be around now. Yeah. And guys who I played with back then also acknowledged that like, yeah, he was awesome these last couple of years. So that's great, man. We talked about Ohio state, um, highlight. What is a, uh, NFL highlight for you and give me something, give me a, a kind of a cool NFL, a moment that you got to do, or maybe something you got to do because you were an NFL player that you might not have ever experienced in your life or a meeting or a dinner you had or something like that. Oh man. Um, so the NFL game experience for me, that was the best. Um, we had a pretty wild snow game in Pittsburgh against the Miami dolphins one year where it came down to the last play of the game, you know, like the lateral, the like, you know, hook and ladder and all that. Right. It was one of those, and they were, the ball was tossed like probably six, eight times, something. And offensive lineman Marcus Gilbert threw it to Antonio Brown. There's so much snow on the ground, like 
the field all looks just white. You can you can't really see the out of bounds lines and parts and stuff. Mm. And AB is flying up the sideline. He this is for like 50, 60 yards. And he scores, but he stepped out of bounds at like the four yard line. <laughs> yeah, didn't get pushed or anything, stepped out of bounds because of this like snow on the field and all yeah. that. And so it didn't count. So it was like a huge letdown, but it was like wild moment. And then I guess like my first NFL game was like, it was Peyton Manning's first game in Denver coming back off the neck surgery. And all oh, that. Wow. it was a night game. And it was also the year after Denver beat the Steelers in the playoffs with Tebow on the last play of the game. So it was like a rematch. Um, that place was rocking. It was so loud. I actually came off the bench in the first quarter, played that game. We lost, but the atmosphere was incredible. Um, but, uh, I mean, all those big Baltimore Ravens games, Steelers, Ravens, all that, like I was, <laughs> I was in the one game where coach Tomlin was looking at the Megatron accidentally stepped on the field while the guy was running down the field to score. Yeah. Accidentally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was on the field. Oh yeah. That was wild. Total accident for sure. Uh, <laughs> still holding to it man yeah i got Whatever. you it happens right <laughs> it was wild but uh and then something i got to do uh because of being in the nfl i guess it was pretty cool um my rookie year for yeah my rookie year for like my rookie party they took the older offensive linemen took me to vegas right and um it was us and like some of the dolphins alignment because mike Pouncey played for them Okay. Uh, but so we go to Vegas and we go to this like party. It's like a kind of like a pregame party one night we're staying at the Cosmo and it's in this, like, I don't know what room this, what club this was, but it's like a big, like library looking room. And there's a whole wall of just like these like 20 foot tall windows, but they're covered with the red satin curtain. Okay. And we walk in and like, it's just a vibe in there and DJ Jazzy Jeff's on the ones and twos. Like, no like for me to you, like a, like yeah. a house party. You right. Know? And he's like, what up, what up, what up? You know, like we're all like, this is dope. Yeah. And, we're chilling. and there's just only ends up being like 40, 50 people in there. And it's Dr. Dre's like private birthday party. And you didn't know that going into it? No idea. I had no clue. <laughs> what up, Dre? <laughs> right, bro. He's walking around. What up, fellas? What up? We're like, bro, what up, Dre? Like, it's it was dope. And uh, and then like goes over and pulls this big red curtain back. He's like, pulls the whole thing back in the windows, and it's not looking down at Marquee Nightclub in the Cosmo. And Rick Ross is coming on stage, and the whole front row of tables is empty. And he's like, there y'all go. And bro, wow. we got the tables. We're just down there, like you know, bottles of everything everywhere. Mark Cuban's from Pittsburgh, you know. Yeah. So Mark Cuban just comes, jumps in our section. He's like, "What's up, boys, Pittsburgh?" And we're like, "What <laughs> is going on?" And he's like, "He's like, you guys got the whole front row." He's like, "Come on, give me a bottle." So we started pouring bottles of uh, Jameson and Patron in Mark Cuban's mouth, and vice versa and it's like a big pittsburgh vibe and we're all just oh man i was like bro this is absolutely insane that's our real life wild that's wild uh, man rick ross is right there performing like it was nuts packed club in vegas so you guys were in a you're in a room like above everything not knowing yeah. where you kind of were and I then you see no it idea. and for dre's birthday he hooks you guys up bro it was sick 
That's was, awesome, man. I was just like, what is going on? Here? Yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I feel that way. That's how I party too, by the way, if you're wondering. That's how I get down. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Not on that level. I don't think we had Dr. Dre. I think it was an actual doctor that showed up. Um, <laughs> so, hey, uh, let me, uh, talking about like meeting celebrities, you mentioned some big names like Peyton Manning and, and Tebow and all that. After games, you know, you see guys meet halfway, you know, guys that you went to battle with. As a fan, I know you probably meet your guy that you've gone against all game, but as a fan, was, did you seek out guys after games like, hey, I just want to say what up to a Peyton Manning, or I just want to say what up to a Tebow? Like, or is that, it, what's the etiquette on that as a, a player? Or does it have to be a quarterback to a quarterback? Or Oh, no, it's totally cool. Like, I've seen, I've seen a lot of guys go up to, like, the big guys like that. Uh, yeah, tons of guys would be like, just come up and be like, hey, man, just dap them up, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, much love, much respect, all that. Um, I, to a bunch of the guys that I played against, I always would go say what's up to them because I played against a lot of like really, really like just, I mean, hall of fame type talents, you know, like Julius Peppers, um, Jared Allen's, uh, Dwight Freeney's Robert Mathis's. Um, I mean, I could go on and on like they're Justin Houston's Tom Holly's like, Terrell Suggs, all these guys, yeah. you know, um, one of the cool things was being on the field with Ray Lewis. That was always, I mean, cool. he just was on the field like a couple of weeks ago and, or last weekend and he fired him up to, uh, win another game. He hadn't lost a step. He looks like he could still play. Bro. He's, he's yeah. Wild. Wild. It was, he, uh, tell me about, give me a Ray Lewis trash talking story. Cause I know you had to hear him across the way, huh? No, I don't, but all I like when it, when, so it was at the end of his career. And if you remember at the end of Ray's career, he was basically like out on the field preaching. Yeah. Like, you know, he's out there just like getting guys pumped up, like telling them to do like go as hard as they can for the Lord and all of this. (laughs) Yeah. It was pretty wild, but it was, it was just like intense. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, definitely. Very cool, man. Hey, you know, I want to talk about something, a, a kind of a scary moment for you. I mean, a life-threatening moment. You're in Pittsburgh. Tell us about that night that you, you get attacked. Oh, dude. Yeah. So Pittsburgh hanging out after my rookie year one night, it was a uh, Friday night in the off season, you know? Um, are you with other, are you with other players at this time or just buds or what? No. So I'm just with a couple of buddies, Pittsburgh guys who, uh, who I met throughout the year. What actually one of them was a roommate of another offensive lineman who was from Pittsburgh. So, um, just out with those guys hanging out, we were out all day, hanging out, drinking, mm-hmm. you know, that whole deal. And, uh, I think it was, I mean, it was late. Like it was like the bars were closing and we were going to Jimmy John's and found a $20 bill on the ground. It was like, yeah, fellas, free Jimmy John's like, let's go. <laughs> you're a pro yeah. athlete and you're pumped. You found 20 bucks. Love it. Bro, it's the little things, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you still don't buy drinks for crying out loud. I'm That's a, what I'm saying. So if I find unbelievable, bucks, hey, you know, <laughs> you think it would pay to have pro athlete friends. It doesn't. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Mike. No, but tell me about the story, man. But so we can go in, we we're like eating our food and stuff and we're all pretty drunk, you know? And so my buddies are all like, man, like, all right, let's walk to Garrett's house, like 20 blocks down this main road. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's also June in Pittsburgh. It's hot. Um, and I lived about six, seven, eight blocks straight up this mountain. Right. 
Like there's a legit train train car that goes up let, this mountain. That's let me let me ask you a question real quick, Mike, because I don't know anything about Pittsburgh. So are you in a good area? Are you in a sketchy area? I mean, I don't I don't I'm I don't know anything. Area, about I'm in an area where like it's like a I guess the only thing that I could compare it to in Tampa words would be kind of like an Ebor, but not as crazy. Not as crazy like, as Ebor? Yeah, but like kind of, but it's a lot like Ebor. It could be shifty at points, is it what you're saying. Shift, yes, but there's still nice places. Yeah, points, but it's like, it's a, it's a fun place to go. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And so, but it's like, where also, like, I lived in that area. It was a cool little area. I went out and hung out there all the time. Ebor um, reminds me of uh, New Orleans a lot. So would that be kind of comparable? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, we're down there and I'm like, 350 pounds. I'm like, I'm not walking 20 blocks in June. I'm drunk. Like I'm going to just take the rest of my food, my truck. I valet park it at the sushi spot all the time. So I would have them leave my keys in it because it has like the number pad on it, the fourth mm. thing. And I would just drive straight up this road drunk, not saying I should be driving, yeah. but I would drive home. I would park, sleep, whatever. And I was that. And so I went to go get in my truck and eat and I was eating and I was like, all right, well, and my keys weren't under the seat. So I'm like, damn, what? Like, so my buddies had already started walking. Our other buddy had went home drunk like earlier in the day and I have a, a passcode to his house. So I was just got out of the car. I was going to walk to his house, Derek. Oh, oh so yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm walking okay. to Derek's house as Derek lives down a block and two blocks over. And as soon as I get out of my truck, a couple of guys walk up and they're like, is that your truck? And I'm like, yeah, man. And they're like, I thought they were gonna be like, nice truck. Yeah. And it's like, give it up. I'm like, fuck you mean give it up? Back up. Yeah. Like, and uh, at this point, we're standing on the sidewalk in front of my truck. These two guys are standing in front of me. And um, I'm like, look, bro, like, dude's like, give it up before I shoot you in your face and kill you in front of all these people. Like, pulls a gun on me. And I'm just like, oh, wow. man. So I'm like, bro, don't please don't shoot me. Yeah. Like, and then, uh, I'm like, I'm like, bro, don't shoot me, bro. And you don't even have the keys at this point. Right. Yeah. I'm like, bro, like I don't got the keys. None of that. Like, don't shoot me, bro. And then there's a third guy standing on the running board on the side of my truck. And he's like a little dude. He's loud. And he's like, yeah, we got a nice one boys. And I just looked over and I'm like, fuck you. And I look back at these two. And the other guy goes like, and I'm like, look, bro, like there's three of y'all. There's one of me. I'll fight you guys, but please don't fucking kill me. Mm -hmm. And the other dude is like, nah, bro, let me kill him. And I'm like, bro, come on. Like, wow. And like, yeah. And I hear the other guy walking up behind me. So I go like this to guard my face and dude jumps up and tries to punch me from behind. Other dude, when that happens, stabs me in the stomach. I grabbed the guy who punched me. And when I grabbed him, the guy went to stab me in the chest and it got my arm. And wow. so like, thank God. Um, but they took off running. I'm standing there. No idea that I got stabbed right. next to this Cambodian restaurant that you talk about the veteran O lineman in Pittsburgh. My first night going out there, they took me to this Cambodian spot to get drunk food. Cause they were like old school guys like to drink and party, you know? What I mean? Right. And so like we go to this Cambodian spot and I meet the owners. They both work and operate it with their kids. Mom's from Cambodia. Dad's from his last name's Mix Wiggins. He's from America, white guy. And 
their kid had just got married in Cambodia and they had these beautiful wedding photo albums. And I sat there shit faced, just looking at these beautiful wedding photo albums. Yeah. And we got real cool. So I would eat there all the time. What is this a year prior or something like that? Maybe yeah, prior to this year. incident. Yeah. Literally okay. about a year. And okay. so their restaurant is all windows and it's full of people and they're eating who watched what just happened. Like everybody's oh, wow. in there eating their Cambodian food, watching this happen. Right. And so the, the owner lady, I call her mom, mom and pop, she came running outside and she's like, big Mike, you got stabbed. And I looked down and I'm just like leaking everywhere. Yeah. And I was just like, and I just kind of like lost it. Adrenaline rush, like went through the roof and I just kind of hulked out. I picked up a random guy, put him on the wall and he like watched the whole thing happen. He actually ended up testifying for, uh, for some court and all that. Did you think it was him at the time? Is that I why you grabbed he, him? I thought he was like with them or something. I don't know. You know, it was yeah. just like yeah, it's anybody just, who was around, you know, it's crazy. And he was like, big Mike, put me down, man, put me down. I'm friends with Willie Cologne, who was the left guard. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And so I was like, Oh dude, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And like, we walked in together, they sat me down in a chair in the middle of the place, people are in there eating. I'm sitting down oh, in you're bleeding. Bleeding everywhere. She gives me a towel to put pressure on it. And she just starts pouring a bottle of peroxide all over me. And, uh, like they called nine one one and the police who are working at the bars down the street, walk up, they walk in, they're like, Oh, what happened, man? And I'm just like, you know, like while I'm sitting there, I'm waiting and I just have all these people looking at me. I'm just like, God. I'm like, what the fuck? It yeah. just burns so bad. feels like, like the hottest fire poker, just like poking the inside of your guts. Wow. And I was just like, ah, like just pissed. I'm like, I can't, I'm like sitting there. I'm like, I can't believe he fucking stabbed me saying it out loud. Yeah. And the cops come in and, you know, I get up and I walk outside with them and show them what happened. There's blood everywhere. There's no urgency to call 911. I mean, to have an ambulance. Somebody already did. Yeah. They're on their way. Oh, okay. I was like, what's going yeah, on? This all happens in like minutes. Right? Okay. Like a five minute span. Maybe I waited. I think I probably waited 10 minutes for the ambulance. Okay. And, um, so we're out there and where all the blood is and stuff, the dude who jumped up to punch me and his phone fell out of his pocket and was sitting there on the ground. So they're like, they're like, well, look what we got here. Mm. And so they arrest him the next morning. But so I get in the ambulance and like, it's so weird. So I get in the ambulance and I'm like trying to call uh, my roommates. Cause I'm like, man, I'm going to need some stitches. I need to ride home from the hospital. This is before right. Uber, you know? And <laughs> well, I mean, I would hope someone would come to see you in the hospital and not to take an Uber. I home. thought I was just going to be there real quick and I could go home. Yeah. You know, I wasn't trying to have any attention called to it. You know, well, of I mean? course. Yeah. I'd be an athlete. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'm like in there and I'm calling all my buddies. They're all sleeping or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so I call my mom and I'm like, mom, like you got to call Jay, my roommate. I'm like, he's sleeping at home. Uh, you gotta wake him up, tell him I need to ride home. Someone stabbed me in the stomach. I gotta get some stitches. And my mom's like, Michelangelo, like, you know, first middle name drop, you know? Yeah. Like, right. It ain't, it ain't real. And she's like, I'm like, yeah, I'm serious. I'm all right. She's like, do I need to come down there? I'm like, absolutely not. Like, just call Jay, tell me you're right. And the ambulance guy's like, Hey man, tell her you'll call her back. And, uh, he's like, he's like, hang up. And I hang up and I just like lay there and I started feeling like real, real peaceful and warm. And the dude starts sternal rubbing me and he's like, stay awake, man. Stay awake. Talk to me. Talk to me. Wow. 
and he just starts talking to me and I keep trying to like, just like stay awake and talk. And I keep talking and we get to the ER and I like go to get up to walk. And he's like, no, 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 no. Lay down. Mm. I lay down. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, fuck, please. No. And, uh, I go into the, like they wheel me in and there's every, like, there's like 11 doctors in there. This doctor puts a glove on, puts his two fingers in my stomach. And he goes, I can't feel the bottom prepping for surgery. This guy's going to die. This guy. Yeah. And that's like, what you hear last. Bro, I grab my phone. I call my, I go, I got to call my mom. They're cutting my clothes off. And I, I'm like, I got to call my mom. So I call my mom and I'm like, mom, they're prepping me for surgery. Get down here. I love you so much. Bye. And I hang up and then they put me on the table. I just start feeling all crazy. They put the gas on and I was out, bro. Like I just like was laying there just feeling so peaceful. And like, like in the ambulance, wow! just feeling like warm and peaceful, like dying. And yeah, it was like, if I wasn't so big, thank God I was fat as hell that year. Um, it was like a quarter of a centimeter more or like 20 more minutes. And I was done. So did they, could they determine how big the blade was? I mean, it almost went all the way through me. Wow. So, and at that point I was three fifty. So Jeez. like, you know, I mean, it, it cut through my large intestine, you know, my colon and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had to get like a part of that cut out and like make sure I wasn't going to have to have a colostomy bag. Right. Ended up cut me down the center, 38 staples here. And then like 12 staples over here where I got stabbed. Um, yeah. Hospital for 10 days. Couldn't walk for a lot of them. Couldn't leave till I could poop. Couldn't poop for nine days at least. Like it was wow. pretty, it was rough, bro. Like, well, yeah, man. And then not to mention like PTSD, you know what I mean? Like mm. that stuff set in pretty quick. And like, I woke up the next morning from getting stabbed and it's like Mr. Rooney, Kevin Colbert, Mike Tomlin, David DeCastro, my draft mate and my mom and grandma, you know? And then right after them was Derek and the boys with balloons. Yeah. And, um, really funny. Like, homoerotic cards and stuff. Of course. Like real, real gay cards. And right. uh, my, my grandma loved it. <laughs> I was on like a, you know, like a morphine drip. Sure. And all this stuff for like forever. So I was just in and out of it. Like, you know, just, mm. it was rough. I, um, what can I ask what the, can I, I mean, I know, I mean, the big thing is that you're alive and you know, you, you didn't have to, uh, you know, have, I mean, I don't know if you have lasting effects of this, obviously PTSD from it, but what, what are you professionally? What are they? I mean, I'm sure right. Tom was not talking to you about your career right there. He's making sure you're okay. But I mean, what are you thinking career wise right now when this is, when you're laying there? Oh, bro. So that's the thing I'm coming off a year, like where I just won rookie of the year and all these things. Mm -hmm. like I'm trying to prove myself to the organization because of the pre-draft stuff. And like, you know, I'm just out on a Friday night in June, like, you know, like just we're not even in like football we're like an ota like just going and working out right you know and uh so yeah i'm just like damn like man and then professionally i'm just like well i just got to get after it get back out there i'll be fine it's nothing yeah. And what did they say to you that when the coach when tomlin was there and rooney and all that what did they say oh, to bro, you? bro they were so supportive 
Like, yeah. So, so supportive. They were, the organization was so supportive the whole way through it. Like Mr. Rooney, I had to have a, in it. So this is crazy. The guys, um, you know, the guys end up, you know, getting caught and all these things. And, uh, like they go, they sit in jail for like a year and a half awaiting trial and all this stuff. And it's the state versus those guys. And when you're in criminal trial, you have like the right to not incriminate yourself. So they don't have to take the stand at all. Mm. Uh, me and I think six other people who were there, the guy I picked up on the wall, the owners of the Cambodian shop and then just like other bystanders. I didn't even, I didn't go to court every day um, and sit there. So I don't even know who all of the other witnesses right. were, but we all said the same thing, um, you know, in court and all that. And then on the last day of deliberations, the judge let them bring another witness up and she just, it was a public trial, all this stuff. And this is not something that should happen in a court of law. You, you don't bring new witnesses who aren't on the docket after eight, like six days of trial and two days of deliberation, you know, and she just goes up and says the opposite of what all of us said. And, you know, she basically like, Everybody said that I was just getting out of my truck, walking, these guys ran up on me, blah, 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 and that was it. And they said that I was drunk, stumbling down the street, and knocked the guy's chicken kebabs out of his hand, wouldn't buy him new ones, started a fight, and they stabbed me. And that had nothing to do with your truck. Bro, you can't just there. go stabbing a guy over chicken kebabs. Well, yeah, it, it, well, no, no, I don't understand like, that. What I'm saying, the story is completely different. Yeah. But how crazy is that? Like what? And, uh, but yeah, just completely different. And like, I'm like, bro, if I knock somebody's food out of their hands, especially if I'm drunk, I'm probably going to buy you twice as much of whatever you just had. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, I know you, Mike, you don't waste food. So no, that's, that's not what, happening. Yes. So like, <laughs> I'm just like crazy. And they said the food was from these Cambodian people who's, uh, whose stuff that we like With the restaurant. We, yeah. Yeah. And they testified and said that those guys never came there to eat. Mm. So like, so what did that, know. what did that have to do with like, what did that have to but do with so the outcome? That, but so that came when there's reasonable doubt, if there's one person who says opposite of everyone that establishes reasonable doubt. So they throw it out. Oh, so those guys throw it out. And then they all file lawsuits against me for like defamation and all of these things because, and because they had to sit in jail and await trial. And they so also now know who suit. you are, right? Yeah. And so a civil suit. And, uh, so then I also have to get an attorney and file, uh, suits against them and talking about the organization being supportive. Mr. Rooney got me like the best attorney in town for half the price. I had to have him on retainer for like multiple years, uh, for like a year and a half, pretty much which, you know, was like a six figure deal. Um, and these guys all one by one after they get released, get rearrested for like, uh, um, armed robbery, like the dude who punched me, like robbed someone at gunpoint outside of a bar again or something. Wow. Um, the guy who stabbed me, like shot a girl in the leg outside of a corner store while two girls were fighting. And the guy who pulled a gun on me, like got arrested for murder, like a month later Ugh. with his brother. Like it was, I was, it is unreal. So and did they all end up getting convicted of other things then? 
I think so. Every, I mean, you don't know. I, I know they all got off of other things and then rearrested because every time that one of them would get in trouble for a while, it would say man acquitted in the stabbing of Mike Adams arrested, rearrested for blah, 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 blah. Oh, in the papers and stuff like that? Bro, on the news. On the news. Would send me, people would send me videos of it on my phone like years later, like 10 years later. So did that help you out then in your civil cases where it was like, you don't have oh, a case? Bro, I never, I just had to file them so that they would go back and forth. And I never actually was even like, I like dropped all that shit. Yeah. I'm like, Get me out. Like I can't sue them for anything. None of them have anything. Right. You know what I mean? You can't yeah. sue a man for, was I going to sue him for like what I could have gotten in a contract for like 40 million, None mm-hmm. 40 million to give me. Right. You know, so, yeah. um, you just kind of are in that. So it gets tied up in court. Oh, man, I'm um, so glad you're okay. And your poor mom. Oh, bro. My <laughs> poor mom, bro. Like she went there. I testified and I was on the stand for 15 hours and all they like, bro, this is how the, like whatever the legal system, blah, 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 blah. But bro, I go up on stand and the first thing that they start asking me is, so you've been, you're a big guy. You always been a big guy. Were you a big kid? What, what, how old were you when you started playing football? You were six years old. You were probably a lot bigger than the other six-year-olds, weren't you? A lot tougher. You know, do you like mm. football? What do you like about football? You like being violent, Mike? Yeah, uh, I see. Yeah, I see where they're going. Picture. Yeah, You'd being this big, angry guy, like yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is just something. So 15 hours of me just trying to like just watching my character be assassinated. Uh-huh. Um, be over some guys trying to murder me in the street. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it was, yeah, it was something heck of an experience. Glad I got through it. Um, yeah. So you're able to recover and you, and you do, uh, end up resuming playing in the NFL, right? Oh, bro. Yeah. So I actually, so I rushed back. This is, yeah, I rushed back. Um, I couldn't even hang from a pull-up bar without feeling like my stomach was going to rip open. Oh, and I'm in here starting NFL football games. Um, so I'm starting a left tackle my second year and, uh, like I'm can barely play dude. Like I developed a huge hernia in my stomach, which I still have today. Um, and like I, you know, I got no core strength and how are you supposed to play anything in pro football with no core strength. Like, um, so like developing a hernia means my stomach's ripping back open in my stomach, my intestines right. a little bit. Right. And so, um, I end up like getting benched after like the fourth game of the year, playing in Wembley stadium against the Vikings, just having a rough, rough go of it needed some time to get healthy and all those kind of things. And also like was going through it so bad mentally like maybe sleeping an hour, um, couldn't smoke any weed, couldn't sleep. Like, you know, like I was drinking a bunch cause I couldn't sleep, but I had to go to a 14 hour day of football. And when I say couldn't sleep, I'm talking maybe like 40 minutes, you know, wow. you know, I'm like falling asleep and having the same repeating dream of myself dying over and over and over like, yeah. you know, and so life is pretty much in shambles, complete shambles. And you know, get benched. It's even worse. Then I'm like basically suicidal. I live up on this mountain. There's a real call, real close bridge to a parking lot close by. Used to think about jumping off of it all the mm. time, every single night, walk to it, all those things. It was like the lowest of lows for me 
personally, you know, mm. it was, and I've had some pretty low ones, but that one was definitely the worst. Right. Um, and so I end up working my way into like this rotation of playing a whole bunch of tight end and like, like a whole lot of tight end and end the season that way, go into my third year, I go home to Columbus and just kind of go into like, you know, like dark night Batman mode when he goes up into the mountains and he's just like, <laughs> yeah. mountains. so I was just doing, um, so after, during that year, when I got my second year, when I got benched, someone on my team was like, Hey, me and my wife are going to this yoga class thing. We've never done it. You should come with us. It's good for your core. So I go to yoga at the place where I learned to be a teacher and started teaching, you know, later in life, which is wild, but. Well, it should be known now that you are a yoga teacher for people who are listening right now and watching you are a yoga teacher. So this is kind of cool. Cool. That's when my yoga journey got started. So that off season, I go to Columbus and I just like go dark, you know what I mean? And I'm just working out. I'm doing yoga once a day, working out twice a day, training at my high school, training at the gym, um, doing all these different things, getting in really good shape. I got down to like 300 pounds. I was like 305 and I had visible abs and was walking (laughs) around with the shirt off all that. (laughs) When I went back to Pittsburgh, my coaches were like, holy shit. Like they, they were like, yo, big Mike, like, yeah, we see you, bro. Like coach right. T was like big Mike, I see you, bro. Like, let's, let's see it, baby. Like, and I'm running like a madman, like doing it all. And so, you know, I go in in my third year, like I played some great football, um, started a whole lot of games, played a lot of really great ball, got a, got a bunch of game balls. We were really good as a team. I actually like, it was a weird time in that year where I was playing like starting tackle, but like our tight ends were all hurt and they had the backup tight end was worse than the backup tackle. So I started at tight end and was out there just, we were just running jumbo and I was just blocking and killing people. And I had like (laughs) a bunch of broken ribs. I have a cluster of broken ribs and I had a bunch of broken ribs. I had to get like eight shots in my butt cheek, my ribs and like all this to numb my whole body to play. My, oh. lung, was, my lung was like half deflated. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, it's like, it was a wild year, but played a lot of really great ball. I had a lot of fun, like was just really back in love with the game and um, could also smoke weed again and quit drinking and going out, which was pretty crazy. Um, and so that was like a huge key in life. I was doing a bunch of yoga. So mm. like mindfulness and stuff started to come into play for me. And I also had bought a farm in the country or actually not even at that point I had, I was just about to move back home and buy a farm in the country. Um, but so I'm going into my fourth year and I'm in OTAs and when I'm in OTAs, like, this is huge year for me. Like, they're like, yeah, you're about to be the starting left tackle now. Um, this year contract year, you know, so like contract year, second round left tackle, like we're talking, you know, $70 million, wow. you know, that kind of stuff. And bro, that's the, like the end of the second week I'm playing, I'm practicing really well, like having a lot of fun, just like, yeah, this is it. Like, and do non-contact injury while I'm warming up, just doing a little side to side movement drill, my disc and my L5 S1 just goes out. 
and my legs get hot and I'm like, I keep stretching and I go through practice, have a good practice, go in to uh, change clothes to go work out. And I just thought like, nah, fuck it, it'll be all right. And I go to get up and I froze and I couldn't get up and I was just stuck. And we were like, trainer. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm down for like, they're like, you know, I get an MRI, all that and massive herniation is what they call it. And my disc basically blew up and it was stuck on my sciatic nerve. And so like, um, they're like, maybe your body will absorb it and it'll fix itself because your body does that a good amount. And, um, so we're waiting and we're waiting and like weeks go by a month almost goes by and training camps, like, you know, 10 days away, a week away. And I like, can't even walk. Like I'm hurting, hurting bad. Like, and I go in and they're like, all right, hold your, uh, hold your big toe up. And they go to push my big toe down. It's just limp. My, uh, foot, my foot's just like limp. Nerve damage. I developed drop foot a little. And so they're like, whoa, uh, you got to have back surgery tomorrow morning. And so the next morning I go under the knife, back surgery, like 10 days before training camp, the biggest one of my life while I'm at the tip top shape, I'm in the yeah. best shape ever. Like I'm right. fit, you know, and strong as hell, strongest I've been in my life. And, uh, yeah, that was tough. Um, you know, I, and then it being my contract year and me being like expendable, I guess, or like them, you know, it being like a fork in the road of if they needed to go a separate way or what, um, they tried to rush my rehab and all of these things. I had to get a second opinion doctor who was like, Whoa, they got, you got to slow down. Like ended up re-injuring my back, um, all these things. And then, you know, I have this big thing with the Steelers where they're trying to get me to sign over my injury protection rights, which means they could cut me and not have to pay me for the year. And like all of this stuff got real weird. So yeah. we have a mutual splitting of ways, um, that spring. And, uh, yeah, man, I was just at home. I had bought a farm up at home in Ohio, which was like an hour outside of Pittsburgh. So I was hanging out a lot there. I had it the year before, but was getting a lot of work done to it Yeah, and, uh, wasn't living there yet. And so I fully transitioned to the farm and, uh, just was like living up there. Not really. I like couldn't go to football. I couldn't walk. I wasn't allowed to do anything but walk. Were you released from the team at that point or were you still a stealer? Still a stealer on the team. And this is during, this is during the season, my fourth year. So I'm out for the season. I'm on IR. And, uh, so I like, can't do anything. I'm just at home. And my second opinion doctor gives me the go ahead to start rehabbing. And so I start going to football every day, you know, and they won't rehab me unless I sign off that they're not liable. And at that point they can cut me and they don't have to pay me. So I can't do that professionally. It's like, right. Oh, were you just going to go give away a million dollars? Like, and think you might not ever be able to play again too. Right. So, no, not doing that. And so I, um, we had a mutual splitting of ways. They released me and I went home and I just was like up there rehabbing. And I met a uh, Steeler legend, offensive tackle, John Cole randomly. And he started re he was a PT and working with a bunch of people like, um, recovering from neurological, uh, disorder, like incidents and strokes and uh -huh. stuff like that. But so he started training me. He was also the first, strength coach at the Steelers, but he starts training me and starts rehabbing me. I get strong in shape, all these things. 
and the bears, uh, and a bunch of other teams start calling for the next year for camp. And I go and work out against another offensive tackle at training camp with the bears smoke this guy. Like I'm in like sick shape, but I'm also like super light. I, w- I had put on like 30 pounds in like a w- couple weeks, basically to right. make weight for this workout. And I got up there and I was like 297 and I uh, make the team go to play for the bears for my last year, start a couple games, have a lot of fun. My back goes out week 11 and a walk through same injury, same injury goes out in a walkthrough. I'm like, bro, like it was so bad this time. And I was so traumatized from what had happened with the Steelers and them trying to like kind of screw me that I was afraid to tell the training staff. And we had like a long weekend. Um, I was just laying at home in bed, like crying, couldn't move. I I couldn't walk. My roommate, uh, had to like bring me food, bring me water. Like I could like barely get up. I had to crawl to the bathroom that was in my room. And, uh, it was just like real rough. I was like, dude, this is never going to get better. Like if this is how I'm going to have to live, I'm going to, I'd rather just fucking shoot myself. I'm sorry, but you know, and uh, it's no quality of life. I get you. I knew what you're saying. bro. It was, it was so bad. Like mentally, I just, I couldn't believe that my back went out again. Um, like, you know, coming back off of it and getting back to a place where I could make it back and start games. And then I started two games and then boom, back yeah. comes out. Like, I was just like, yo, like what? And, uh, so I was just down real bad mentally, all those things and, um, afraid to tell anybody, but I couldn't practice. But so I called my agent. I'm like, I don't know what to do, Joe. Like, you know, I signed an injury waiver saying if I hurt my back, they didn't have to pay me. And so I was like, man, like, I was like, I got like a couple more weeks or whatever. And like each week you're thinking like, you know, eight grand or so like 90 grand. Yeah, yeah bro. I'll push it as far as I can. Right. And uh, like, I'm going to retire after this. So I know I'm never playing again. So I'm like, well, oh. I might as you know, like see. And he's like, bro, go to the training room. He's like, you're crazy. And so I go to the training room and the bears took the best care of me, bro. They rehabbed the shit out of me every day, knowing I wasn't ever going to play again. And they paid me every dollar that was left on my contract. Wow. We're so great. Like, um, they, like they contact me still every year, all the alumni stuff. They sent me, uh, some of my jerseys that they found and all that kind of cool stuff. And, um, yeah, that was, it was awesome. Totally. That's a good way to go out too. Like, I, I know you're retiring, but it's a good, like to have a good, you oh, know, bro, like, totally you know like what? Rewrote my relationship with that, with the right. whole corporate side of the game. Right. So, Big yeah, time. It, it was nice. So then I was just like, the thing about it though, was like going into that season, I was out for a year and all I did was like live on a farm and hunt deer and do yoga. Yeah. And I got in, I just completely changed as a person and like my whole outlook on stuff changed as a person. I also was like, so, you know, me like big plant medicine guy. So also was like diving deep into some of that and like learning more about myself. And I completely lost like all want and need to like, go be like super alpha male all the time and compete with all these and be in this like, two dogs, one bone type of world. And I'm like, man, look at this world. Like everybody can have, you know, like, um, 
So like going into the season that year, I was just happy that I was healthy enough to play, you know, and just like to be out there. But like, dude, I would see deer on the practice field in the morning in the fall. And I would <laughs> like freaking damn near cry wishing I was in Ohio in a tree stand. And then I would go home and I would watch Midwest whitetail after football every single day, all day until I fell asleep. That's pretty alpha, um, dude. Smoking dude. <laughs> I just wanted to be out in the woods so bad. And it's so crazy because like you talk about full circle type stuff. So right. when I, I did a whole bunch of different types of therapy for PTSD. And one of them that I did is this stuff called EMDR. And it's like re it's like reorganization of memories and reassociation of memories. Mm -hmm. And this therapist can like make you, it like connects left and right brain, right? This therapist. So basically when I would think about getting stabbed, it was like a one way road to being sad, pissed off and you know, hurt right in my brain. This therapist reorganized it to where I gave her the perfect image of what my happy place was, which was my favorite part of the woods behind my house in Ohio. Right. And she reprogrammed my brain so that when I think about getting stabbed or the memory, I now have a fork in the road before mad, happy, sad. That takes me to the feelings and emotions that I get when I'm in my happy place. Wow. Absolutely incredible. And when she did it, I could see the sun shining through the trees. I could like hear like the animals and the birds and like feel the bark on the trees, like smell it all. It was incredible. And Man. Like, Bro. And so that like full circle moment, you know, just yeah. like, I love the outdoors and all of that stuff and what it really means to me and how it, for me to walk away, it wasn't easy, but I had something to walk away to. Right. You know, and a lot of guys I think don't have that, which is something that they struggle with. Right. Um, but for me, you know, I retired and I was hurt from, you know, my relationship with football and stuff. But I walked into a space where I was doing a lot of yoga. I was connecting with a lot of people in that way when um, social anxiety for me was crippling. I had a safe space to connect with people um, who respected what I was going through. And then also to be able to go somewhere and like I wanted to isolate, but I couldn't isolate because my family was so close and my best right. friends were so close and they knew what I was going through. So they would never let me. You know, but yep. the thing I could do was isolate nature through hunting. And that was therapeutic for me. And then when I would go back home or, you know, spend 12 hours out in the woods in a day and go home, my buddies would always show up, you know, sure. or, you know, and that's awesome. Mike. I love that story, man. Cause we, you and I actually, when we first met, I think you and I talked about kind of those struggles and those mental struggles of like I've, I've, I've really tied with my family, but I've definitely felt that depression and anxiety of like, nobody gets what I'm going through right now because yeah. this, that, and the other, and yours would be JR. You don't get what it's like to be in the NFL, be back at the game and then not be able to play anymore. Cause you hurt yourself in a walkthrough. And I might tell you, Mike, you know, I, whatever, whatever, I won't get into my own story, but the whole thing is you just feel so alone. But at the, at the, when you meet somebody in the middle and you say, at the same, oh, you feel alone right now. That's the big, you feel alone. forget how we got here. This is how we feel right now. You know, bro. And that's the crazy thing about being human is like, we might be from completely different backgrounds, have completely different stories, athlete, non-athlete, whatever. And we may not have the same experience, 
But at some point from some experience, we access that same emotion, right? You know, whether it's rejection, hurt, fear, all of those things, like we all experience those things. So if you can, you know, dig a little deeper than the surface of like, Oh, like you didn't do the same thing as me, but Mm -hmm. like, and get a little deeper and be like, man, like, but you also know what it's like to be sitting there alone and like laying in bed at night or like having your mom call you who you love more than anything in the world. And just be like, ah, no. Yeah. I can't talk Um, to her. Yeah. And like, it might not even be like a thing, like nobody understands me, but it could just be a thing of like, damn, why do I feel like this? Right. You know, like, damn, I just don't feel good. Like, and, and this, and ready. if this is what life's all about, I don't want to be a part of it type of yeah, thing. Yeah. I, I've like, been there, man. Like, I don't want to sit like this, but you yeah. know, like, and so that's the thing, like when I was in getting into the yoga space and like mindfulness, like that's what I really realized and what helped me to get out of that whole funk. And while it makes it so easy for me to connect with folks, because I know and respect that everybody has such a different journey, but like, I know that like, man, we all go through the same stuff, right. You know, and just different forms. Like, so brother, when you're hurting, when you're grieving, when you've experienced loss, like, man, just know that you're not alone. And I feel that too. And if you ever need, you know, if anybody ever needs to talk, bro, I got an inbox. You can definitely go ahead and slide into it. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, brother, I mean, you're, I'm so thankful for your time today. I'm so glad we set this up. I mean, I get to see you out and about, uh, I got to see you this last week and it was really cool to hang out. Um, but dude, you have such a, uh, not only cool, but inspirational, um, gives a lot of hopeful story. I think I'm so thankful that you shared it with me and, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. Bro, heck yeah. I appreciate you having me on. I love, uh, I love that you got the podcast rolling. I can't wait to see where it goes, man. You got it brother. And, uh, I will come take a yoga class at some point. Yes. <laughs> All right, brother. Be well, dude. Love you, dude. Love you later. Bro. All right. See you. 